Hebrews 11. Would you turn to that passage? We love to read our Bibles. We love to preach from the Bible. That is the word that God gave us. That is what we are committed to. And we're at present speaking about faith's challenges for 2023. And we're in challenge number four. And we're going to be reading verses 8 to 11 from Hebrews chapter 11. Assuming, of course, that you have been reading Hebrews 11. Hopefully some of you have gone even further than that. And have gone to the Old Testament and have started just to cross-reference and to start living in the passage of Scripture. The benefit of doing a series, and especially a series like this, is that you could get into Hebrews 11. You can start praying into it. You can allow the Holy Spirit to, to get you to live in that book. Live in the Word of God. And it's amazing how your life will be transformed. I was taught when I was young that when you have the Bible in front of you that you need to read it. Secondly, you've got to memorize it. You've got to meditate on it. And what do you need to do next? You've got to practice it. So glad you knew that. And as that happens, God through the Holy Spirit transforms our lives. And so let's read. Let's read from verse 8 to verse 10. By faith, Abraham when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance. Can you mention the next three words with me on the kind of three? One, two, three. Obeyed and went. Let's repeat that again. Obeyed and went. That's a powerful faith words. To obey God and to act. Upon it. Even though he did not know where he was going, by faith he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob, who were heirs with them of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. We want to look at the life of Abraham briefly this morning. Of all of the other three characters that we looked at so far, we understand that of Abraham, much more has been said in the word of God. Some of these characters had but a few verses to their names. And yet when God looked at them, he said, he is a man of faith. Very, very interesting. When we looked at two of the previous characters, it said that these men walked with God. And that was like a predominant theme within their lives. They walked with God. And what I love about Abraham 
And James tells us about him, another reference of Abraham in the New Testament. He said that Abraham was the friend of God. Wow. That is an awesome description of Abraham, that he was the friend of God. I spoke to a friend of mine just this past week. His name is Brendan Locke. We had a long conversation. We speak maybe on a weekly basis. And so I said to him, Brendan, I, I, I just love what you say. You know, and I said, you're a real friend. He says, but Pierre, everybody's your friend. <laughs> you know, and that's his joke always about us because I say, man, this guy's my best friend. He says, no, that guy's your best friend. Everybody's my friend, he says. Well, it's not obviously true, but there is something wonderful about a friend. And the Bible identifies Abraham as the friend of God. Must have been some sense of intimacy between God and Abraham that was really unique. And um, so we see that this is what the Bible says about Abraham. Now, of course, we do know that in Genesis chapter 11, and that's the background scriptures if you want to have a look at the background scriptures, you can look at Genesis 11. You could look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 5. And so there are so many background scriptures when we talk about Abraham. It's so all the way through Genesis. You would look at Romans. You would look at Galatians. You would look at James. All of these passages speak about Abraham, who is a man of faith, who was God's friend. When you look at Abraham, we do know in Genesis chapter 11 that his name previously was Abram. Exalted father, that is what that meant. And then he was married to Sarai. And her name means princess, beautiful. And then when they met God, and God called them Abraham, Abram's name was changed to Abraham. Anybody know what Abraham means? Father of many nations. Sarah, her name was changed to Sarah. Sarah to Sarah. It is mother of many, many nations. And so there's great significance even within their names. Abram came from the Ur of the Chaldeans. We know that he was a pagan at that time. He didn't know God. He had never even heard of God. He was very far away from God. So he was a pagan, but he was also an idol worshiper. And then God stepped into Abram's life. God spoke to him, and God called him. And when God calls, because he is God and because he is sovereign, he calls with an authoritative type of voice. There's authority behind his call. And my friends, that beats a response. And we see here with Abraham, when God called him, God said to him, Abraham, as we read here, it says, when God called Abraham, and by faith Abraham, when God called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went. And so we see that out of his life of idolatry, 
when God called, he obeyed God. I don't know how long of a time transpired before he responded to God, but somehow I think that when God spoke to him, he obeyed implicitly because he met the real God. He had worshipped idols, but suddenly when the true God appeared, he could differentiate between the two. And when he heard God, and God said, Abraham, come. You see, whenever God calls us to something, he always first calls us to himself. He called Abraham to himself first. And as God called him to himself, God said, I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldeans, and I want you to go. My friends, we can do a lot of things for God, but if we don't understand that God firstly calls us to himself, even the work that we try and do for him will be a form of idolatry if we first don't go to God. So pastor, at a young age, some of my mentors helped me to understand that truth, that being a pastor can be a form of idolatry because we could worship the church, we could worship our work, we could worship all kinds of things within our work, but if God is not at the center of our worship, then we haven't actually come to him. And the most beautiful thing about Abraham, the reason why God says that he's my friend, because when God called him, he came to God. He walked with God. And out of that sense of intimacy, out of that sense of fellowship with God, that relationship that he had with God, he responded to God's call. I think so often, on the one hand, when we are reluctant to do what God calls us to do, I think the reason is because we hadn't really fully understood that God first calls us to himself. And in the book of Revelation, God speaks to the seven churches there. And the sin that the seven churches had committed were uh, varied in nature. But the one thing that stood out was that they did a lot of things, but they had lost their first love, which was Jesus. Jesus says, you know, well done for doing this, well done for doing that, well done for doing this, but he says, I've got this against you. You are neither hot and you are neither cold. You see, that is what happens when we do the work, but Christ is not central within our lives. We'll become lukewarm. Jesus says to the church, that I'd much rather you either be hot or cold. He says, when you are lukewarm, it's like lukewarm water. That's not very, very nice to drink. He says, I will spit you out of my mouth. I will spew you out of my mouth when there is a lukewarmness. It's when the work becomes more important to us than God. God 
calls us firstly to himself. And out of that, we obey and go. And so I want to make sure we understand that. For us here at Lyft, one of the values that we hold dearly here is that I firstly want people to come to God in worship before people want to come and serve in the church. Yes, ideally I would want people to come to God and to serve. But so often and in the modern church today, people will only come to the church when they serve. We've got the order wrong. Our hearts need to be to come and worship and serve. There's a priority there. And so we see here with this amazing man, Abraham, I think he understood that principle and that's why God said that Abraham is my friend. One of the things that I love about Ken is is that our friendship is not based merely on what we do here in the church, but our friendship is a heart friendship. Um, Who he is, who I am. And we love each other not because of what we're doing, we love each other because of our relationship. And that's a little illustration, imperfect as it is, when it comes to this relationship with our God. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says to the church, you have done this and you've done that, but this is what I have against you, the Spirit of God says. You have forsaken your first love. Oh, my friends, that we as a church would make sure that We do not forsake our first love, and that is Jesus. Make sure that when we serve, that that service flows out of this relationship with God. Abraham, the friend of God. My friends, we've got to talk about that relationship before we can talk about all of the other things within this verse and these verses here. Yes, our theme today is this. Obey God's call and make history. Be a history maker. I think it is, it is just so cool that Corey is here today. Because you see, Corey and a number of people, some who are here today, I know it was Ken and Christine, and it is um, Jill, um, her family and there's a guy called Rupert, you know, they, they gather together in a small little place and they created history. They became history makers. And you and I are the beneficiaries of their faith. You see, my faith, my friends, Bible faith has a um, huge effect, not just on today, but on tomorrow. You look and you look at this church. Isn't it wonderful where we see so many people together? From every tribe, almost, it seems. Every nation, almost, it seems. 
young and old, worshipping God. It's the result of obeying God's call and going. And so Abraham is not only identified as the friend of God, as James tells us in the New Testament, but Abraham, throughout the scriptures, is identified as the father of all who believe. It is recognized by over one half of the population, which includes the Jews, the Muslims, Christians from all over the world. When you mention the name Abraham, there is a respect for him. And that is why God used this man's faith, his obedience, for the nations of the earth to be blessed. And so, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 14 says thus, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole speaking about Jesus. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that, what is that word again? So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The Spirit that indwells you and I is as a result of Abraham's faith generations before. And even Jesus, our God, his life was imparted to us because he died upon the tree. And that channel was kept open because of the obedience of Jesus. My friends, when you look at the word faith from beginning to end, the word obedience is absolutely key to it. And you look at Abraham and Sarah and their families, key to their faith was that they heard God speak, they obeyed, yes God, and then they put that faith in action and they went. Others were blessed by it. If we stop doing that, if we stop being obedient as a church, God will raise up another church, another people who will do what we're supposed to do. Because God is faithful to his word, but he has chosen Lift Church as one of the churches through which his blessing would flow to generations and to generations and to generations. Let me ask you a question. Are you not glad that God has chosen us? And that's why God, over 2023, will challenge us to step into the place of faith. And in that place of faith, when we hear God speak, he's going to call us to obey. We, as it were, is, uh, we're operating in the slipstream of Abraham's faith. It's opened up many doors for us. But we're the link 
to future generations. And when we hear him, we need to obey. And we need to move. I thought Ken did the offering in a wonderful way today. Inspired faith within my heart. Just for us to be a generous people. People of faith are generous people. When I encounter stingy people, the first thing that I judge them for, maybe incorrectly, is that they are not people of faith. When you are a person of faith, your heart will open up and you will be generous in every way. You will be generous in forgiving people when they've sinned against you. You'll be generous in helping people when they need your help. You will be generous when you need to give your finance. You won't tick every box. You will hear God and you'll say, God, in faith I give in an abundant way. People of faith operate like this. I wonder if that's not why God says of Abraham that he was a man of faith and that he was the friend of God. It's a wonderful story, this. Uh, obviously, in the half an hour I have, can't do justice to it altogether. Every character that we've looked at so far said this, and I just want you to listen. In verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed by God's command. So, in verse 3, the word, by faith, is emphasized. Then we go to verse 4, it says, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain. Again, the word, by faith. Then let's look again um, in verse 5. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. Again, the word, by faith, is mentioned. And then, verse 7, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. And then we look again in verse 8. By faith, Abraham. I haven't mentioned much about that phrase yet. But when we look at that phrase, it reveals to us something of the nature of these people. That these people were truly people of faith. F.B. Myers, and I've been reading after him for many, many, many years. And as he writes on the book of Hebrews, he says that faith opens a supernatural dimension to people who step into it. And they are able to do what they couldn't do in the natural. That is the very nature of faith. Can you say amen to that if you agree with me? Because all of these men were called to do something that they couldn't do in the natural. But when they heard God, when they believed God, and they, take, they took a step, my friends, they stepped into something that they couldn't do naturally by themselves. Abraham naturally could not have become the father of many, many nations. But when God spoke, 
when he heard, when he obeyed, when that seed of faith was planted within his heart and he went, he stepped into the realm which we call the supernatural realm and God started to do things in his life that was humanly impossible. We sit in a miracle here. When Corinth and the rest of those with him took a step in faith, God did what they couldn't do naturally. It was a work of God. It was an act of God. And we are living in this miracle. My friends, we are a miracle people. And God will confirm his word time and time and time and time again. By faith, we need to take steps. My friends, it's a sad thing that general Christianity and sincere Christianity have downplayed the biblical truth of faith because of the abuse over the last 30 years of the word faith. My friends, I don't want to live in a conservative understanding of the word of faith because faith, there is nothing conservative about it. Faith is truly miraculous. And when we start to understand that faith has everything, faith is a relational word. It is not just taking the Bible and as a young boy, um, I was taught that if you memorize the Bible, if you confess the Bible, and if you say it 20 to 30 times, then it's gonna happen within your life. And I listened to all of the Bible teachers. I was so fortunate. My friends, I came out of a Dutch reform background, an Afrikaans background in South Africa. Then my precious mother took us into a a Baptist church where it was just wonderful, the people loved us. And from there I went into a Pentecostal church. And from there I experienced a renewal that happened in the late 70s, early 80s. And God just did amazing things in the charismatic renewal. And so from there I came back and I stepped into you know, the things that God was doing prophetically within this world. And so my friends, I've had a taste of it all. And not one of those have the complete story. Agreed? And that is why Lyft is so special. We have people from Roman Catholicism all the way up into the charismatic expressions. And you'll find out that Abraham is the father of all of us. (laughs) The commonality is this. We, as Christians, need to be people of faith. We don't just believe and confess and do all of the things that the Bible says. Just because it's a book. My friends, faith is a relational word in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Faith becomes genuine and active when we have a relationship with Jesus and then this Bible, the word of God, without error, authoritative, 
becomes a living word within our lives. Can you say amen to that? It is through a relationship with Jesus. And that's why I read the passage in Galatians. All of this becomes a reality in Jesus Christ. Lift, let's make sure that we center our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says that faith comes from hearing. Who do we hear? Faith comes from hearing and hearing from? And what is the word of God? It is not just this. The word of God was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. The word of God is the living Christ. And the Holy Spirit took the word of God, wrote it down, and my friends, it became a part of us. This word always points us towards the relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus. And that is what is so dynamic about it. When we understand this God, when we understand that this God calls us, then we'll understand that when God calls us, faith enables us to live surrendered lives. When we look at just Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, it says, by faith, Abraham did what? Obeyed God when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he should go. People of faith live surrendered lives. I got a book by D.L. Moody, the great American evangelist. And as he started speaking about the surrendered life, something just lit up within my heart again. And when he spoke about the surrendered life, he spoke about things that I haven't heard for years from other preachers and teachers. And he just said that the surrendered life means that we give up our will and we embrace the will of God and we live in it. We cannot try to do God's will and our will at the same time. Agreed? It'll clash. People of faith give up their wills and we follow the will of God. That's exactly what Abraham did. When he encountered God, when God put faith within his heart to obey, he responded. And when he responded, he said, Lord, not my will, but your will will be done. Lift church for us to carry on the legacy that this church has. We need to live surrendered lives where we say, Lord, not my will, but let your will be done. I think all of us 
have testimonies of saying to God, not my will, but let your will be done. And for Jen and I and for Chris, on the 2nd of February, it would be nine years that we left South Africa to come here. For us, it was personally an Abrahamic experience. We didn't come because the elders called us, although we're very thankful for that. We didn't go because the church in South Africa wanted us to leave. We didn't have a job there. They wanted us to stay. We were very thankful for that. But we very clearly heard God's call in many diverse ways. God got called. And I remember the one night, Jenny heard God's call way before I did. The elders did. I was a little bit slow. I really loved the church that we were in, in Durban. Um, and I remember that one night when the elders had called me again and just said, um, Piet, we really would like you and Jen and Chris to come over. And um, that night, Jenny said to me, Piet, you've got to really hear what God says. You've got to hear God. And very interesting, it was actually our second call to Switzerland. Four years prior to that, a church in the Luzon area had called us and had said, would you be interested in coming to Switzerland? And it was an automatic no. She said no. And we consulted some other guys who walked with us and they just said, no, so we carried on at the church where we were at. And then when this call came, Jane says, you know what, Peter, in a small country like Switzerland, God doesn't call more than two times. <laughs> you need to listen if it's him. And that night we went to bed and I remember I couldn't sleep and I went into the lounge. I just sat there and I started just to look to God and I heard God speak. It was my Abrahamic moment. God spoke so clearly and God just said these words to me and I can still hear them today within my heart. It was so clear. God just said, Piet, your assignment at Cox is finished. Just, he said it to me so clearly. Your assignment is finished. When I heard God's voice, we heard many other voices. They were prophetic voices and they were the word, uh, the word of God just to prepare our hearts. But for me, I needed to hear God personally. And when I heard his voice, I said this, yes, Lord. That's all I said. I just said, yes, Lord. And that night, I went to bed. I slept the best that I've slept in years. I got up the next morning and I said to Jane, our time is finished here. We need to go to Switzerland. I sat down with the elders and they had journeyed with us in, in Durban and I told them the story again, and they said, yes, yes, if you feel that, we're happy to release you. My friends, when God speaks, there is faith to go. But I had to hear him speak. I couldn't hear Jenny speak. I couldn't hear others speak. And my friends, there must have been five, six, seven prophetic utterances that was way outside of us. We sat with Corey and Wayne the one night when we came just to visit the church. We went to have some drinks and something prophetic happened in that moment. Do you remember, Corey? Without two wallets. You still got the wallet there. 
And we'll tell you that story. It was a prophetic thing that happened. We came here and we had a couple sitting here who were from South Africa who prophesied over us um, something like 17, 18 years ago when we moved from the first church we pastored to the church in, in, in Durban. And we went, when we walked into the church here, this young guy, he's a little bit older now, came to me and he just said, Piet, were you this couple? And he just started to speak something over us there. He was just, just right there where Yaku is sitting there. He was talking to us. And he said, Piet, I was that guy 17, 18 years ago who spoke that prophetic word over your life that caused you guys to move from Howard to Durban. And here he sits in lift. I mean, totally crazy stuff. But it was the word of God. My friends, what I want to instill within us today is firstly that God still speaks. Listen for him. Don't be manipulated by other words alone. They're good. They're good. But God still wants to speak to you. The most simple way to understand faith is not to follow all of the formulas that people give you, but the most simplest way to understand faith is just to say, Lord, speak for your servant hears. And when he speaks, you obey. Because he puts faith within our hearts. Obedience isn't hard when we hear God speak. Abraham is just like you and I. Sarai, Sarah is just like you and I. But they heard God speak and they obeyed. But it starts with a surrendered life. Nevertheless, not my will, but let your will be done. God's speaking to some of you here this morning. Because he loves to speak. He loves to speak. It's his passion to speak to us. Hear him. And you'd be able to follow him because he puts that faith within your heart. When God calls us, faith enables us to live a surrendered life. Surrendered life is not normal because we like our own autonomy. We like to do our own thing. When we walk with God, we can't do our own thing. We must do his thing. That's the best thing. Secondly, when God calls us, faith empowers us to make history. (laughs) And I want to add the word, faith empowers us to do history together. Don't you love that? My friends, God calls us together. If you are an independent person, you'll be most miserable in this walk. (laughs) Don't be independent. Do things together in community within the body of Christ. Abraham, it wasn't just him and his wife that went. He took his whole family with him. 
Why? Faith operates better within community. Because that's where we learn. That's where community shapes us. That's where we have iron sharpening iron. That's where we have to submit to one another. That is where my will is secondary, secondary to the will of the community as we follow his voice. Very importantly, some of you who haven't yet come back to church, you're following us online. We love it that you're following us online, but it's time to be here. This is proper community. Come back. Faith operates so much better within true community. That's when we make history together. Ken, Corey, Jill, those who have remained here. Technically, you're still here (laughs) in our hearts. Corey, thank you for being history makers. Thank you. We want other people to say to us, thank you for being history makers. Listen to what the scripture says in Hebrews 11 verse 9. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents, with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. My friends, this is a generational promise. And do you know you can come and have a look at my Bible? You'll see here in the Bible, just here after, where it says, in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. I wrote in my Bible my two sons' names, Ryan and Christopher. I know that uh, when you read the scripture here, it says Isaac and Jacob. And so I just put Ryan and Christopher where it says Isaac. Now we do know that Jacob was... uh, was there too, and, 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 and uh, he became the father, the, you know, the 12 tribes of Israel, and so we see just the progression. But as I was studying this passage, as I was praying through this passage, I just felt with my heart to be prophetic to write the names of my sons, that the promise would flow out of their lives as well. History makers, we need the next generations. Are you trusting God for your children to be history makers? I know there's a third point that I think I'm going to leave for another day. But I wonder, as people of faith who believe God for the miraculous, which is much bigger than the ordinary, the extraordinary, why don't we trust God together as a community for our children this morning. If you have a Bible like this, write the names of your children in there. Oh, I just feel 
so overwhelmed just by that thought. I was looking at your boy worshiping God here this morning. I love watching the kids, you know, and write his name in the Bible there with you, please. He will be a history maker. Your daughters, write your daughters' names within your Bible there. Write Rebecca's name there, Jenny. Joshua, write Joshua's name there, Vili. All of our children, I can mention all of your names. Byron, we're writing your name in there, my friend. You're a history maker. We believe in God for generations. People 